What if you were given land? Not just any land, but land from which you came from. What if you had an opportunity to realize a vision that you've had by making something happen on this land? This is exactly what my next guest, Christine Blair, did. But before we get into any of that, we have to start from the very beginning. A journey that is worth your time. A journey from which we can all learn something. To find out how we get here, this beautiful sound of Hawaii, we first must start from the beginning. This is Christine Blair's journey, and these are the Journeyman Chronicles. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Journeyman Chronicles. It's been a long three weeks. Did you miss me? Be honest. Did you miss me? (laughs) I missed you. I missed all of you. Listen, I missed doing this, but I needed those three weeks and, you know, life happens. And I'm just going to keep rolling with the punches. My wife and I are just going to keep rolling with the punches. Had a little bruised up situation, but I'm okay. Thank God. My wife is still by my side, my kids are still by my side, and I'm still by their side. So, what better thing to do than to get back rocking and rolling with the next episode of the Journeyman Chronicles? I do have a phenomenal episode for you. I am talking to a wonderful, wonderful person by the name of Christine Blair. My wife introduced me to Christine. They used to work together. Another person where Alexandra was like, babe, you got to talk to her because she's got a great story. And not only does she have a great story, but she has a plethora of stories. Great, great stories, a journey that I'm so excited to share with you guys. We're going all the way to Hawaii for this one. And and Christine is such a great, humble person, um, full of great spirit. She's a sweetheart. She has no uh, mean bone in her body. And of course, this is just off my first impression of her. But I mean, from what my wife tells her and from what we're talking about, she just wants the best for people and she wants to help and she wants to help people become better. And so uh, talking to Christine and listening to her journey of where she started and where she is now, it's great. So I hope you enjoy it. This is a long one, but it's good. So, without any further ado, let's not waste any more time. Episode 13, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad you're here listening. Enjoy it. 
Christine Blair, Journeyman Chronicles. Let's go. Always been that type of person to kind of like go with the breeze and take it as it comes, or is that something that you've learned through life? I, I wish I was always that type of person. That is a learned skill for me, for sure. I, and you would think growing up in Hawaii, most people are very laid back. Like we have think the thing that we call Hawaiian time, where you're like a little bit late for everything. <laughs> okay. I was never that type. I was always the type where it was like 15 minutes beforehand is on time and like very regimented and needed to be successful and needed to get all A's and always kind of a type A personality. So I was very different in my younger years than I have been, I would say in the last decade. And I don't know exactly what brought about that change. I I can only say that life happened to me and I decided to make some changes to make my life feel more manageable. So living in the present moment is something I strive for. I don't always achieve it. Um, but, but that's definitely something that guides my life now is trying to live in the present moment, be in the experience of life rather than be distracted away, which is what I was doing a lot of my life. I think I was being distracted by my idea of success, my idea of who I thought I should be. One of my friends said, um, you live the first half of your life trying to be something you're not. You live the second half of your life trying to be unbecome that person. Okay. Yeah. So I think I'm in the, like I call it sometimes my unbecoming, you know, and there is a popular quote about unbecoming, but I think I'm in that part of my life now where I'm unraveling all the things that I thought I needed to be, all the things that I thought I needed to do. And I'm just being myself now or trying to get back to that person. You're doing it in a pretty cool way too. And it's not like you're unwinding and you're depressed about wasting time. There's a lot of people that kind of do what you're doing, but they do it in a wrong, in the wrong way. They're, they start focusing on how much time I've wasted. You, on the other hand, are like, you accept it and you, you're happy with it, but now you are realizing this is, this is not where I want to be. And I'm right. happy that I'm here, but I'm now I don't want to be here. I want to be there. You had mentioned that you're from Hawaii. You're born in Hawaii, from Hawaii, right? You're yeah, Hawaiian. born and raised in Hawaii. Okay. Is that the culture in Hawaii? Is that rooted in you enough where that's where your go with the breeze type of mentality and how you've embraced that through your life cultivated from? I think so. I think like some of the, the values that I was brought up with in Hawaii, even though I really was like fighting against it when I was a kid or when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, especially, I just wanted to get out of Hawaii. Um. I mean, imagine growing your entire life on an island surrounded by water and you can circumnavigate the entire island in five hours, it becomes a very small world for someone who just wants to break free, you know? But, But the culture is so rooted in community and family and connection, particularly connection to the environment, to the natural world. And I think that is where I'm coming back to now. Mm. Like that's the space that I'm exploring more now is like my connection to the natural world and my connection to people rather than being focused on all the external things that you can be focused on. You know, like we're always told that the success in life is 
the big house, the fancy car, the degrees, the good job, the great pay. And I, I just kind of decided that that wasn't something that was making me happy anymore. It wasn't bringing joy or peace into my life. And you're right. I don't have like this negative attitude about all the, t- the supposed time that I've wasted, you know, air quotes wasted, because I feel like that was part of my journey. Like if I didn't do all those things or have all of these experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the wonderful and um, fantastic, I wouldn't be the person that I am right now. Mm. I wouldn't be having the experiences that I have right now. So yeah, it's, it's all part of the journey, I guess. Yeah. You, um, when you say you were, young and surrounded by water and wanting to get out uh when you did get out what did you do what was the first thing that you that you did as you decided to discover yourself so my mom also had this desire in her she was a single parent shout out to all the single moms single parents that yes. are out there absolutely because i was a single parent for a little while i was divorced when my daughter was about 15 so i we, you know, I was a single mom for a little while. I cannot imagine raising kids on your own for the entirety because my mom and dad divorced when I was like less than one year old. Oh, okay. Um, but so my mom was a single parent and I feel like she had always wanted to leave Hawaii. She was born and raised there as well. We're four generations there. Um, and she wanted to join the Air Force for whatever reason. She didn't join the Air Force. So when I graduated high school, I don't know if it was her desire and mine combined, but it was like, you got to get out of here. You got to see something more of the world. Not that Hawaii is a terrible place, but it is a small place. And and I just had, I don't know, bigger aspirations maybe for my life to, to see different places and experience different cultures and different people. And um, so she took me to the air force recruiter and signed me up and, And that's what I did right out of high school. I literally graduated and left the week after. Um, Myself and actually another girl that I graduated high school with, we ended up in the same squadron for basic training. And uh, we landed in San Angelo, Texas. I'd like to request our flight attendants be seated at this time. We're landing in about one minute. Thank you. And I'm like 18 years old, getting off the plane. They put you on a bus, they get you to the, to the um, base. And as soon as you get off the, the bus, they're in your face yelling <laughs> at you. And I thought to myself, you know, there were some people, some of the women that I was with were breaking down and crying. Mm. And I had been raised in a family. So my mom was a single mom. She had help from her parents. So my grandfather was actually a lot like my father in a lot of ways. He was like the main um, male role model for me. And he was a hard ass. I mean, like, you know, punishments and like, there was no, there was nothing that you could get by him. Sure. A very loving man learned a lot from him, but certainly not easy. Right. And so they're yelling at me and I was like, 
if this is all it is, because I worked myself up for boot camp, you know, I sure, was like, yeah, yeah. ready. <laughs> I was ready to like break down and cry and everything. Oh, no. So they're in my face. And I'm thinking, if this is all it is, I can deal with this for the next six weeks. So I did get through the six weeks. I do have a funny story about boot camp. Sure. Um, and it just tells you a little bit about my personality because okay, I'm a good. little bit of a rebel, okay, which is not good. good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so you, we go to the cafeteria for our meal and you can tell who is in the first parts of their basic training and who is in the last week based on what uniform you're wearing. Okay. And so they know clear as day, I'm in this certain uniform that says that I'm like, in the first couple weeks of basic training and we're all sitting in the cafeteria and in front of us, there's this whole table full of drill sergeants that are sitting there and they would call them the snake pit Mm. because if you did anything wrong, they would just jump on your ass. Well, right in front of the snake pit, they have this dessert tower, you know, like in the dine in the diners where they have like, this glass case and all the desserts are in there spinning. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love dessert. (laughs) Second of all, I'm not afraid of these drill sergeants. You're not afraid of the snake pit. No. (laughs) And so I get up from my table and you could tell as soon as I got up, the women, because you're all, it's not co-ed. It wasn't co-ed. I don't know if it is now, but basic training wasn't co-ed. So it was all women sitting at my table and you could tell from their faces, they were like, what are you doing? Don't do it. (laughs) Don't get up. And I was like, I'm going to go get pecan pie. Oh, they were like, don't do it. And, and I was like, I'm going to go do it. It's not a problem. So I get up and I march over to the dessert tower and I take out the pecan pie. And I think I'm, I close the door on the thing and I turn around and I think I made it. (laughs) All I have to do is walk back to my table now. And one of the drill sergeants was like, airman. And he starts yelling at me. So I have to turn around and I'm standing there with my dessert. And he's like, what do you think you're doing? And I was like, getting dessert, you know, like no big deal. So I'm, I'm standing there and he's yelling at me. And now everyone has finished their meal. They're all getting up. My whole squad is leaving. And he's like, oh, you really want to eat dessert? You need to sit down and eat that in the next minute. I was like, no problem. Sat down at the table, scarfed down that pecan pie and booked it out of there. But yeah, they had their eye on me after that. <laughs> but they called me the dessert queen. <laughs> so you were the dessert there rebel, the dessert queen. Were you, did you do that often? Were you, was that something that you did often? You pushed the limits during uh, I did your time the in the Air Force? I, oh, yeah. I did push the limit a lot. Yeah. But I tend to make like, I, my personality is pretty laid back in that. Like I make friends pretty easily. I, you know, like I don't have a lot of, I don't know. I just don't have a lot of pretense. So, so making friends kind of comes naturally to me. And so my head drill sergeant, I became friends with him. Like it wasn't a big deal after the first week, you know, it wasn't, I not even the first week after the first day, I was like, okay, I got this. Like, it's not a big deal. That's the way, uh, you know, well, most people don't look at it that way. For some reason I'm getting the vibe that everything that you're telling me is that kind of goes in, in line with 
uh, your easy breeze type of I'm not going to get worked up over this right now. And so when you have that type of mentality, um, you can kind of like tell the trees from the forest a little and, and kind of like I'm not going to I'm not going to let anything kind of psych me out. I can see what this is. I, I got my eye on the what was your what was your goal? get out of the air force and or is it just well my goal actually going in my goal was to retire in the air force okay okay that's so what i was getting I, to okay I had good plan going in i i thought i would be there you know long past my my enlistment was for six years um i thought i would be in until retirement that was the goal for me gotcha um which was 20 years so by the time right. i would have i would have retired i would have been 38 retired, you know, like that's a, that's sitting pretty really like, then you can start a new career. You can do whatever you want, but it didn't, it didn't work out that way. And that's, that's fine. Like that was the way that it worked out was fine. Okay. What, what came about that changed that course? So I ended up, um, I always say you can take the girl out of Hawaii, but you can't take Hawaii out of the girl. Yeah. So I ended up, (laughs) I ended up meeting, a a guy so i went to um after basic training they send you to your training for the job that you're going to do okay and my job that i did was i was a cryptologist and a linguist so how they how they put you in that field is they give you this test and it's completely a gibberish language and you're supposed to make sense of it and here i had had in um high school, I had had four years of Japanese language. Okay. I had gone every summer. I had gone to like Japanese culture, summer schools and different things like that. So I thought for sure, when I joined, I was going to be a Japanese linguist. I was going to go live in Japan. Like that was what I had in mind. Well, I took this, this test, this language test and found out that I had an aptitude more for middle Eastern languages. Wow. So, which is completely different than Japanese. <laughs> and that means I'm not going to Japan. Right, so, right. So I ended up testing for Persian Farsi, which is the language of Iran, which is the country between Afghanistan and Iraq. So you go into your um, training and you are there for 46 weeks of language immersion. We were there with, I think like five Iranian nationals that were our teachers as soon as they entered into the classroom it was all Farsi like from the jump the first day they even change your name for the 46 weeks so my name in class was Katayun and the guy that ended up sitting next to me his name they changed it from Chris to Kamran well I ended up being friends with Kamran we actually hated each other at first and then I had to tutor his ass because he wasn't paying attention in class and he wasn't doing his homework. Gotcha. And Typical. so I was tutoring him and then we ended up becoming friends. We would go to the beach because we were in Monterey, California. We'd go to the beach, hacky sack, we'd hang out. And then all of a sudden we were in love, I guess. Oh, okay. Young love. You gotcha. Know? Yeah. So, um, So by the end of the 46 weeks, in fact, at the end of the 46 weeks, I was pregnant. Okay. Oh, yeah. So so stuff's starting to move along here. (laughs) 
so so we after after Monterey, California, we moved to Texas because that's where you get more training about you know what we were going to be doing exactly with the language. And um, I was pregnant. My mom happened to move to the city that we were stationed in. And she was like, you are getting married. And I was like, okay. Because that's what you do when you're, again, all the things you're supposed to do. You know, you're now you're pregnant. You need to be married. You need to have a husband. You need to do it this right way and blah, blah, blah. So we got married, which is another funny story, but I don't think we have time for that. We have plenty of time. I'll hear whatever you got. (laughs) Okay. So the, the marriage... The marriage story is, so we're stationed, we're, and of course, we're all a bunch of, you know, m- myself, my friends, my ex-husband at the time, Kamran, Chris, and his friends, we're all like 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, you know, we're young, but we're, here we are in the military, for goodness sake, and, and when you think about, it, like, still to this day, a lot of our military members are under the age of 25 years old. And they have signed on the dotted line and said, do with me as you will (laughs) Mm -hmm. to the government. So it's um, admirable, I think, for all, especially these in these times that we're in, that kids are still signing up to serve their country. So shout out to all of the active duty men and women out there. I mean, we we couldn't do it without you for sure. Um, So we're all these young young kids. And now I need to get married. So we're in this training situation where we would be doing a week of nights, get two days off, do a week of days, get one day off back to a week of nights and switch and switch and switch. Wow. So I decided, well, our marriage has to be (laughs) on the, on the time that we get two days off so that we can get married and have a little honeymoon, you know, two days, two big days. So I call the justice of the peace in the area and I say, hey, um, we need to get married. Are you open on Sunday? Because all I have off is Sunday and Monday. Yes, we are open on Sunday. I was like, perfect. We'll be there. I set a time. I even called and confirmed the time. So all of our friends get ready. <clears throat> My mother is there. Um, we go to the justice of the peace to the courtroom. It's closed. <laughs> we have these only these two days off. So I'm like, we need to get married today. So we go across the street is a Catholic church. We go to the Catholic church, (laughs) this whole band of people was walking over to the Catholic church and they're like, we can't marry you. Uh, You're not Catholic. Like you need to go through some kind of something. It is a long process. (laughs) I'm not even, I'm not even like, I didn't do catechism or whatever. I'm not Catholic. Yeah. Okay, fine. So we go back to the hotel that my mom had gotten for our um, honeymoon night. And let me tell you, the town that we're in, San Angelo, Texas, you know, there's not a lot of options. It's a small town. So we're at the Holiday Inn, all right, in the honeymoon suite. That's how awesome that is. So we start calling around and we're calling all the churches. We're calling every like everywhere. No one. There's no one to marry us. Downstairs, we told we had told the uh, concierge or the receptionist about what was happening. And she was like, well, I'm Mormon. I'll call my Mormon bishop and see if he'll marry you guys. 
Well, of course, he calls up to the room and he's like, I'm so sorry, but you're not Mormon. Right. I can't marry you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so we, we keep calling around. Finally, we find, I don't know, even know how we did this, but we find the mayor from the town, like one town over. Wow. That mayor drives over with his wife because he needed a witness. So he drives over with his wife to our town. <laughs> We go outside of the Days Inn. There's like a gazebo outside of the Days Inn, and he marries us there. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) If only I had been Catholic or Mormon, it would have happened sooner. But, you know, it happened the way it needed to happen. And you can see, like, I have the pictures from the this spectacular wedding day that took me all of two days to plan. Like I went to JC Penny with my mom and got a sundress, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you can see our, both me and Chris, my ex-husband, our eyes are just wide. Like what the hell? Are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's going on right now? Yeah. Yeah. I have a similar story with uh, my, in my first marriage um, that was like the former mayor of, Pittsburgh at the time. My ex-wife was from Pittsburgh and he shows up. Uh, I never met the guy and uh, he shows up and he needs help walking up the steps and he's got a oxygen tank with him and he's, oh he, he pulls it down. To, yeah, it was one of those deals where I, I was like, what, what are we doing? Like, I guess. <laughs> so I totally Happy get the wedding day. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. So you're married now and you're pregnant. Yeah. What do you, yeah, and we're you in do? Texas. Okay. At that point. So then we moved. Um, so after that training, I had to go up to Maryland. I was stationed at Fort Meade, Maryland. And my now husband at the time had to go to, he was in flight school after that. He, so he was an airborne linguist. So he had to go to Florida for more training. And that's the thing, like in the military, you're not always promised to be stationed together. Like that's sure. the hope. And that's certainly something that they aim to do, but it doesn't always happen that way. And for a lot of families, even today, they're separated because of that. So, um, so he went down to Florida. So I go up to Maryland. I check into my dorm room. They don't know that I'm pregnant. I don't think they even, yeah, they didn't know I was pregnant. So they put me in this like dorm room with everybody else. It was a COVID dorm room. And I didn't think it was a big deal. Cause I was like, well, I'm pregnant. I'm not like sick or right. anything. Like I don't need to be, um, you know, anywhere special, but Fort Meade is a huge base. So walking to get groceries and walking to work, which I was working at the national security agency, you know, it's like a far walk. So now I need to get a car. I am 18 years old. I am from Hawaii. I'm pregnant. I've never bought a car. I start panicking. I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? So I call my husband and I say, I don't know what to do. I need to get a car. Like, there's no way for me to do this. So he flies up from Florida. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going into the nuts and bolts here. Go for it. He flies up from from Florida and uh, we go and buy a car. He buys a stick. Okay. <laughs> I get I I've only take it you've never driven. driven. <laughs> I've only ever driven automatic. I am yeah. in Maryland for goodness sake. Okay. Yeah. And I'm used to a one lane highway in yeah. Hawaii. Like yeah. one coming, one going. That's all we do. We don't do exits. I had never done exits, none of that. Oh, wow. Gotcha. So he gets a stick because you know the transmission's better, it's gonna last longer, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I'm pregnant and I'm hormonal and I don't want to drive stick. <laughs> So he's there 
for two days. He teaches me in those two days to drive stick. Barely, barely teaches me to drive stick. Wow. So at one point after he left, I dropped him off at BWI and I'm driving back to base and I stop on a hill. Now, anybody who drives stick knows yep. Yep. when you stop on a hill, you're yeah. That's how that's you how I learned how to drive. Stick. Shout a little bit. You got to yep. gas a little bit. You got to rock it. Yes. Yep. And now I know this, but at the time I didn't know that. And so I keep dying. I keep dying on this hill and there's this huge semi behind me. Oh, so finally God. I put the dang thing in park. I turn the car off. I get out. I'm sobbing. <laughs> I go to the, I go to the semi, the guy that's driving the truck driver. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, you can move the car if you want. You can go around. There was no way for him to go around. He had this huge truck. So yeah. he got out <laughs> of his truck and drives it, you know, up around, up over the hill and then around the corner. And he's like, it's going to be okay. So this perfect stranger is like, you know. Helping you out. Absolutely. Helping me out. So I went to, once I got to base, I just drove around and around and around until I figured it out. So. Yeah. I learned how to drive stick. Uh, um, my uncle taught me, and I learned in the in the city of Lancaster, and I, same experience as you. And it was, and I remember him telling me, you know, uh, if you have time, take yourself on it, put yourself on a hill. That's how you'll learn to how to oh, balance, yeah. how to how to keep it rocking. And yeah. I same experience. I, I actually one night I came home from work. I worked at Friendly's, and it was late. And I, I come up to a stop sign near where I near my mom's home, and it's late, and there's uh, uh, like an, an accident or something. There's cops down the road, and I come up to the stop sign. And I'm like, oh my god, please! I'm on a hill. I'm like, don't do it here. And of course, it stalls out, and it stalls yeah. out. And I can see the cops like they all kind of stop talking amongst themselves, and they all just look over at me, oh, no. and I've and I, something just like clicked, and I I hit it, and I floored it. And I'm flying up and I'm driving stick. I'm thinking three cop cars are following me. Nobody was following me, but right. I know that feeling like it's like I just Yeah. Stick shift yeah. sucks you when you don't know what you're doing. Shit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was stationed there and he was stationed in Florida. And then finally we ended up getting an apartment and he he moved up from Florida. So that that uh that ended up, you know, I moved out of the dorm. I was there until I was like eight months pregnant I can't. in the dorm so, in the dorm yeah how'd and i that was go? Like, i mean eight months pregnant that's a i mean had that had that go those eight months in the dorm but i mean were you you know i really didn't uh, like i'm kind of like you can probably tell my personality is like i just take things as they come and i don't yeah like I, like I said i wasn't sick or anything i was just pregnant so i didn't see anything wrong with it of course like one of the girls that had gotten pregnant around the same time that i did and i came to maryland with she was in an apartment like from the jump but i just thought well his her husband's here so that's why they have an apartment and i was waiting for my husband to to be stationed in the same place so i didn't think it was a big deal when they found out that i was pregnant in the dorms though they were like they had a fit they were like how how come you didn't tell us i was like well I Who's mean, that? Who who had a fit? The uh, my squad commander. Okay, okay. Yeah, they were like, we didn't know. I'm like, well, I'm showing. I mean, I'm wearing <laughs> pregnant 
yeah. uniforms. Yeah, isn't that like in the paperwork or anything right. that you're pregnant? It's got to no? be in the paperwork. <laughs> Come into the office every week. Like, it's a little troubling if, you, if they're not, they're not paying you know, attention. You never put two and two together like this pregnant woman is living in the dorm room cooking rice in the microwave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I got a hot plate. I was making pancakes in my dorm room. There you go. On the hot plate because I was craving pancakes. Yeah. But yeah. So you got an apartment after eight months with your husband. Yeah. Yeah. He moved up. And then we ended up having Kaylin is my daughter. Okay. So we ended up having her at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, okay. Maryland. Um, yeah. And she is 23 years old now. So that's how long ago this story is. Gotcha. Gotcha. Time flies, huh? It really does. Yeah. It really does. And everyone always tells you, you know, when the kids are young, they're like, enjoy this time because it's going to go by so quickly. And you're like, shut up. Yeah. You know, I know. Whatever. Everybody says that. It's so cliche, but it tr- it truly is like it just goes by really, really quickly. Yep. I completely, completely hear you. And there are times where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually in this like a uh, really cool spot where my oldest is 19 and she's she's going into college. She graduated high school last year. I can recognize where she's at because I've been there. You know, I I have that connection with her. And then I got this three-year-old that looks just like her when she was three. And yeah. so I'm kind of living these parallel lives where I'm like, I when people say enjoy it now, I'm I'm I kind of have this moment where I'm like, I'm going back and say, Oh my God, yeah, I, I miss that. <laughs> I'm seeing it all over yeah. again here. And now I'm I'm trying to enjoy it now. But it's hard when you're in the moment with it because I don't want to hear about me missing it I'm ready to be missing it but no yeah yeah, I I completely (laughs) I completely completely yeah yeah. so no I think I think that sentiment is shared by all parents yes like you in the moment you're like my goodness can we just get over this fit or whatever it is that we're going like can we just get through it at this point but then it's always hindsight 2020 you look back and you're like oh I missed that time or that was such a beautiful moment or God, that sucked, but yeah. we came through it. Like, look how resilient we are. You know, does she follow your footsteps in uh, air force or, or anything like that with the military? She at didn't all, actually, she ended up, um, she, she ended up choosing at the very last minute. We didn't know what she was going to do. I actually did take her into the air force recruiter and she was considering being a linguist because both her, her dad and I are linguists. And she's interested in language. Um, But we went in and we did not have the greatest experience with the uh, recruiter. So we tried a different recruiter. And she ultimately, one of my best friends is a sign language interpreter. And so my friend said, hey, let me take her on a couple days of shadowing. And so Kaylin did that. And she came back from those experiences. And she was like, I want to be a sign language interpreter. So that's that's what she ended up going to college for, which is, you know, very similar to being a linguist. Like she, and in fact, her minor is in linguistics. So she did, um, so she's a sign language interpreter now. That's so cool. I mean, I, I didn't even know it makes sense now. Yeah. Sign language interpreter. I, I, I guess I, I'm looking at it in a naive way. I'm like, I never even knew there was a sign language interpreter or a linguist. And you also, uh, what was the other? Um, oh, I was a cryptologist. Cryptologist, cryptologist. yeah. So yeah. I, I didn't even know that there were people that were cryptologists. So this is a really cool, fascinating world that you're you're kind of getting me hip to. And it's 
it's cool that you have a daughter that you're that you brought into it, but you didn't kind of force your way of how you went to the Air Force. She found a different way to kind of still follow your lead in a way. And I wouldn't say that I didn't try to force it because I, I didn't try to force the Air Force. But, you know, when your kid gets to the age where they need to make a decision about what they're going to do, like what they're going to major in, what college they're going to go to. I don't know about you, but at that point, I started to panic because I didn't have to go through figuring out a major, figuring out a college, all the financial stuff. I didn't have to do any of that. So I had no reference point. And so I panicked a little bit and I was like, we got to figure this out. You know, you have to know. And reflecting back on that moment, I'm like, so much, we put so much pressure on kids who are 17 years old, 16 years old, really. I mean, they start doing their college tours and all of that, but 17 years old. Now you've got to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. You don't even know who you are, but by the time you get out of college, you're going to have the financial debt akin to buying a house. Yeah. And it's a lot. Yeah. I, I feel like we do such a disservice to our kids, but that is, that is what our society does now. You know, like that's the, like you, you have to follow this certain path of you graduate high school, then you go to college. If you don't go to college, my goodness, you know, what, what's going to become of you. And, and the truth is like, you could go to college at any point. I went to college after the air force and I don't even, I, I mean, I use my degree now, but you can have so many iterations of yourself. I feel like we tie our kids down to like, you got to decide, you got to do this for the rest of your life until you're retired at 65. And then, you know, whether you're happy or not, because you got to pay off this debt, you got to do this, this certain way. So I certainly like, in the beginning, was probably like trying to run that traditional lifestyle through Kaylin, like you got to do it like this. And this is the best way to be successful because that was my mindset. Right. And now um, she and I both are, are more like non-traditional, I would say like she knows. And I've told her if at any point this is not fulfilling to you, this doesn't bring you joy or peace. This doesn't seem like you're growing. You can change. You can always change your mind. I, um, I've had these like similar conversations with my kids, especially my daughter, especially this past year, like the past yeah, 18 months w- w- watching her have been like an emotional roller coaster. Cause I'm like, oh, oh, you know, like <laughs> I'm at work, like yeah. oh, she's 18 and 19. But I tell her, you know, uh, you know, I'm like, what do you want to do? And when I see her kind of like, she's scared to tell me she doesn't know what to do. I'm like, I, I get it. So I I'm out, I'm on this, seesaw where i'm like i don't want you to feel like you've got to like commit uh to this idea that your life is going to be this but i also just don't want you sitting scrolling on your phone and so like it's this balance where i'm trying to find i grew up when my mom and my dad were like you know you got to go to college and it was like well i don't know what i i like to draw and i was good at it so then it was like well you got to go to college for that and i went to college and I was taking gen ed, gen ed courses that had nothing to do with art. And I dropped out because I was, you know, right. I, got, I got distracted with other stuff and I wasn't into it anymore. And I said, look, I said, don't find something you like to do. And let's see if we can find a career with that. Yeah. And I also told her, I said, you can be going to school f- 
forever. You you could graduate and get your degree in this, and then maybe you want to go do something here and get educated in that. And don't feel like you have to be this one dimensional person. And that's hard because I it's hard for me to explain that to her. I don't know how uh, it was with you and your daughter, but you know, I I kind of see with my kids. It's like they're scared, and I'm like, right. it's okay. It's all right. Just trust me. You don't have to be like you're going to be OK. You don't yeah. want to be because I know if I had that and I, and I had, uh, you know, my, my parents tried their best. It's that type of like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'll never knock that. But sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I I wish I could have just gone back and had somebody like kind of just just nudge me a little bit and say, you don't have to do this right now. Right. Take your time here. And so like, I commend you for for having that uh, conversation and that experience with your daughter. You have a very close relationship with her, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Sweet. She's I call her my stone. Why is that? They, so there's this um, there's this quote by uh, Mother Teresa, and it says something like um, like it talks about casting your stone like you yourself can't change the world, but you can cast a stone into the waters and create a ripple effect. It, that's not the quote exactly, but it's something you. to that effect. So I always tell her and maybe this is too much pressure on a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Really, like I always say, like if I have done nothing else right in this world, I have raised a courageous, resilient, strong, compassionate, kind woman. Mm. And if that is all I do in my life, I've, I've done my job. Yeah, you know, gotcha. I have fulfilled all of my purpose right there with that one human being. So, so yeah, so I call her my stone because she's like the stone that I've cast into the water. That is so cool. You had brought up now. I wanna I wanna jump ahead a little, or maybe I'm not jumping ahead. You tell me. Um, you and your at the time husband then divorced, and you. What happens at this point? Because of, you have an interesting relationship. And forgive me, I forgot his name already. I apologize. What What's his name again? Chris. So when I met him, his name was Kamran because they had given gotcha. him this right. That, that I was remembering that name ironically, yeah. but and, I didn't. Want- <laughs> is I still call him Kamran and he okay. still calls me Katayun. And all of the friends that we have from that time of our life, we all still know each other by our Persian names. Okay, which is that's funny. so cool. So you guys are like, uh, you guys, do you all hang out still or keep in touch though? That little click there? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's distance between us now, like his yeah. best friend uh, from that time now lives in Virginia. So there's a little bit of distance, but and, and my best friend from that time actually lives in Virginia, too. And then we have some people in California, like they're all over yep. the place, all over the world. Yeah. But it's like it's like I think we share you You probably have experienced this with some, some friends you experience a bond with where when you need something, when you are going through something in life or you just pick up the phone, it's like time has not passed. Yep. Yep. Like you can just jump right into it and you're the same people. I mean, things have changed, you know, life experiences have happened, but you're still at the core of the same people that you were and you still connect in the same way. So we do have friends from that era of our life that, <laughs> yeah, we can still lean on. Certainly we've leaned on them in the last year. Um but yeah, uh, your your relationship with your ex-husband, you're still and I'm, I'm bringing this up because it's it's rare, uh, at least it's rare to me. And I, I, I'm actually really fascinated by it because 
I don't have that. And not that I'm looking for it, but I can understand uh, when people are like, oh, I don't I don't talk to such and such. You, on the other hand, have a very, very close relationship with him even after your marriage with him. Is that something that because of the uh, going back to uh, your Air Force days with him and or is it just the way you're you were brought up or you guys were never really nasty with each other. I mean, explain that relationship to me. Yeah. I mean, so we were young when we got married. I was 19. He was 21. We were getting married. Like I said, because I was pregnant, it was the thing you were supposed to do. I mean, not that we didn't love each other or anything, but you know, we're too young to make that decision. And so, um, I feel like in a lot of ways, well, we were in the military. So then military families also understand that you know, you're moving around a lot, you are each other's support system, there is nobody else, like you can't call mom to come over and watch the kid, or, you know, rely on other people. When you move around, you know, sometimes you don't make close enough relationships with people or, or whatever. So you're really relying on your family system, yeah. which for us was me, Chris and Kaylin, like that was it. And, um, and we're also the type to not ask for help. You know, we give help, but we okay. don't like to ask for it a lot. So I think that, so that being young, I always tell Chris, like, it's, it's basically like we grew up together. We raised each other. You know, we were married for 16 years. And when we got a divorce, we weren't friends right off. We weren't um, in the greatest place, but we also wanted to co-parent Kaylin. We love each other. We have a deep abiding, unconditional love for each other. That is not romantic love, but it certainly is familial love. Like we love each other like family and that will Mm -hmm. never change. And so when things happen in our lives and we need to rely on people, we still go back to that, like relying on one another, relying on the three of us to kind of make it through things when, when hard things happen. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, it's like, there's a, um, there's like a camaraderie or uh, there's a a connection that you, that you established, um, that he was your support system, uh, when you weren't really able to have anybody else. So after the divorce, you were able to maintain that. And you had mentioned that uh, at this point now, you decided to move back to Hawaii or am I, am I not following so before? So I actually, um, after we were stationed in Maryland, we both were getting, oh, he had gotten out of the Navy cause he was in the Navy. I was getting out of the air force and, uh, the military will move you back to your home of record for free. So, uh, I don't know if that's how it still is, but so for him, he was born and raised in Maine, and I was born and raised in Hawaii, you know, two opposite, Absolutely. very opposite. opposite. <laughs> yeah. So I looked at him and I said, where are we moving to Hawaii or Maine? And he was like, what do you think? We're going to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> We're not moving back to Maine. <laughs> Kaylin at the time was headed into preschool. So that's how long ago it was. Um, and we moved back to back home, my mom had already left Hawaii and she married a cowboy from Texas. So she moved to Texas and uh, we moved into the house that I grew up in. So we moved there. At that point, I was like a little bit kind of going through a depression, I think now looking back, because I had left 
the military, this was something that I was so committed to and I was going to retire from. And I and really enjoyed like the regimented lifestyle and um, the camaraderie and, and, and everything, but it was time to get out. You know, they were going to retrain me into Pashto. 9-11 had happened. Okay. They were going to re- retrain me into Pashto, which is the language of Afghanistan. I might have been deployed. I might have been working many, many hours, which I already was because, you know, Iran being right on the border of Afghanistan, a lot of, a lot was going down. So um, we decided that getting out was probably the best bet or the best thing for Kaylin at the time to not have me deployed. So I was going through it and I was thinking like, what am I going to do now? You know? And Chris, my ex-husband said, you know, you are a natural caregiver. You've, I had taken, not really taken care of my grandfather, but had been there when uh, he had gone through a stroke of his. My other grandfather had Alzheimer's. I had been there through that. One of my aunts had gone through brain cancer and I had been through all of those things. And certainly I was too young to be the caregiver, but I was helping right. in any way that I could. And he was like, you're a natural care caregiver. I think you need to look into nursing. So I, I never waste any time. Like I make a decision and it's like, okay, a hundred percent, 110% we're going for it. So I applied to college while we were in Hawaii and I did my bachelor's in nursing at the university of Hawaii Hilo And I did that program. It's a four-year program. I did it in three years because again, that's how I am. (laughs) So you were pushing it. I'm like a bull. I'm like, okay, we need money. (laughs) Somebody needs to be working. Your degree isn't going to be done in four years. Mine can be done in three. So let's get it done. So I did all the summer classes, all the accelerated classes and hit it hard. And uh, so that's, so I ended up becoming a nurse. And then we decided that we would move to, Pennsylvania, because I eventually wanted to be a nurse midwife. And the best place to do that, to to continue education for that was at University of Pennsylvania, which is in Philadelphia. But when I was researching, I was like, okay, Kaylin, my daughter is now, you know, eight years old, she's been used to living in Hawaii, which is pretty rural. I mean, not, not completely rural, like, but like, we don't live in grass shacks or anything like that. Gotcha. (laughs) Uh, But but, you know, she w- she certainly would be culture shocked to go from Hawaii to a city, Philadelphia. Oh, it's, well, it's completely so, different. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I looked at like, okay, where could I, where could we live that I could take a train into Philly and do that kind of thing? And Lancaster ended up being one of the choices. I interviewed at LGH. I interviewed at what I thought when I came here, I thought it was Ephrata. So I went to Ephrata. <laughs> That's the first for me. Yeah, Ephrata. Uh, I went to Reading Hospital and interviewed there at that old, that old Reading Hospital um, that looked like an insane asylum. I mean, it was crazy in there. But so I interviewed at a bunch of places, and and LGH was a hospital that had medical surgical, which. When you go to nursing school, everyone always tells you, your teachers always tell you, when you get out of school, you need to go into a med surge unit and just kind of learn the ropes there for at least a year. And then if you want to go anywhere else, you can go specialize. So my plan was 
see, I always have a plan, yeah. but it always doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to turn out. <laughs> never so does. my plan was med surge unit for a year, go to the women's and babies because LGH has had this like women's and babies hospital attached. So go there and then go, uh, go to home care, learn a little bit about being in a home setting and being okay. a nurse in a home setting and then go to school. Well, after a year on the med surge unit, there was an opening at a home care agency. So I was like, okay, I'll just go home care agency and then go to women's and babies. And that's where I met Alex, your wife. Okay. And um, I became the case manager for the Southern part of Lancaster city. And like, so anywhere below King street um, and also Columbia borough. Okay. And, and uh, I managed those areas for about a decade and then became a nurse educator. So they pulled me out of the field to do some, to do educating. So basically like when a nurse comes from the hospital, sure. She has all the nurse or he or she has all the skills they need to be, to be, to uh, be a nurse, but they don't necessarily know how to apply those skills in a home environment. So teaching them how to do these different skills, but now in a setting where you don't have backup, you don't have all the supplies you necessarily would have on hand and, you know, you're doing it in a non-sterile environment. So teaching them those types of things. I did that nurse educating for a while. And, uh, and then I think it was 2016, my daughter was graduating from high school Chris and I had been divorced about a couple years already. Uh, and Kaylin was going to college and I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want, we had gotten a beautiful big home. You know, we had remodeled that home. We had done all the things that you're supposed to do. Sure. The kid was going to college and all of that. And I thought, I don't want to keep doing this. What was the one thing that was like, all right, I'm done. Do you remember the one thing? You know, I don't know if it was one thing. I think this probably the one thing was Kaylin graduating and me thinking I've done my job. Okay. <laughs> like she's fully cooked. Yeah. I don't need to <laughs> worry about her anymore. She's an adult. She can make her decisions. I fully equipped her, but also like just being a nurse I had gotten to the point, particularly when I was in home with patients, where I was realizing that I was educating them about medications. I was educating them about how to treat their disease process, but I wasn't, I wanted to affect change in people before that ever occurred. Uh. I wanted to teach people like, how do you do the lifestyle changes, eat the right things, you know, get enough sunshine, reduce your stress. So I had actually become a yoga teacher, uh, yoga instructor in that time where I was like questioning, well, like, how do you teach people to live healthier, a healthier lifestyle? And one of the ways for me was practicing yoga. So I became a yoga teacher, a yoga instructor, and I was doing that on the side of, of nursing. And I thought I want to like, go down this vein a little yeah. bit more and pay more attention to this side of health rather than disease care, which is what the other side of it was, which is what I was doing was like, okay, now you're sick. Now what are we going right. to do? 
I, I think that's pretty cool, and that makes sense. It's kind of like you want to uh, be proactive in the in hitting it before. Uh, a lot of people don't really focus on that. I mean, really, it's always like you know, well, I'm here now. Now I need the help. Uh, but, uh, and I, and I, and listen, I'm, I'm, I talk about it all the time with my wife. It's like, we would like to do things better lifestyle wise changes in our diet. And, uh, like you said, getting some sun, I, my wife loves the sun during the summer. I like to go out there a little bit, but I'm like, I, I gotta get in where the AC's at, but I know that's not the greatest, but it feels so damn good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, what was it about? Uh, how do you go about saying, I'm going to be a yoga instructor that was like uh, I wasn't expecting that you threw that in there so I had done yoga for uh, like after Kaylin was born so probably at that point about 20 years I had done yoga and and I was you know in and out of it and then okay. my partner and I at the time we were practicing yoga and I thought well why don't I just like take a yoga teacher training and then I can teach this to people and maybe like that's one way that I can help affect change in their health without pushing medications or talking about their disease processes or something else like this is one way that I can help the community is by teaching yoga so I got my yoga teacher certification and I was teaching this was the other thing I you know I had come from a single parent household where there wasn't a lot of money we were like uh, cousins of mine would send bags of clothes because we didn't yeah. have a lot of money. So I was using a lot of like, so I know what it is to struggle. And I did not, you know, typical yoga, you go in, you're paying 18 to $25 for a class. And, you know, all of the people that are going have their yoga mats and have their gear and look a yeah. certain way. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. Like, I don't look that way, you know? Uh, and so I, uh, I offered donation-based yoga out of, um, I forget what it's called. Anyway, but we, we offered donation-based yoga and then all the money would go toward a certain uh, nonprofit organization cool. in Lancaster. So that's how I decided to do it. And it wasn't like, you have to pay $25. It was like, come as you are. If you can take the class, if you can pay something, pay something. If you can't, I'm not looking at the money jar. So you just come in, set up, whatever. We had uh, mats and, and everything that you needed. So you, you could show up with sweatpants and a t-shirt sure. or shorts yeah. and a t-shirt. You didn't have to have like the yoga gear that costs all the money. How far into this was, did you go? Was it more like a, did you get into like the holistic of it? Uh, the side I know a lot of people that do the yoga and they got the whole the holistic shit and that, and, and it's it's actually pretty cool and I'm like I wish I had uh, time to to dive into that. Did you go into that also or did you just keep it pretty much with yoga? I mean, I think my I don't know if it was the it was yoga or just my personal journey that kind of led me toward like advocating for more plant medicine and. Mm. Um, meditation and stress relief in those ways, like breathing exercises and that. I think it was probably a combination of both, but I certainly, you know, there's this thing that I call the yoga voice where you go into yoga classroom sometimes and you have like, you know, the yoga, <laughs> yeah. the yoga instructor that talks like this, yeah. they get all breathy and they're like, 
just breathe through it. And they like talk a loud whisper. about, yes. And they talk <laughs> about things that I cannot connect with as a human being going through different types of struggles in my life. Like I cannot, some people cannot connect with, with those hyper spiritual things when they are grounded in just trying to survive. Right. Like I just got to get food on the table for my kids. And you want me to think about, you know, the amethyst and like, you know, the different things that they come up with. And it's like, no, like just breathe. Like if, if all that I can teach these people to do is just take a moment for yourself and just take a breath, like, separate yourself from what is going on the crisis that's going on in your body and this nervous system dysregulation that you're feeling like just separate yourself by a breath or maybe two breaths count to 10 give yourself a little bit of space because then you won't react maybe or maybe you'll just be able to calm yourself enough that your blood pressure will come down a little bit Mm -hmm. so it was more that stuff like you know it wasn't like all this no glam. Yeah. <laughs> no glitter, no glitz. Yeah, very no, stripped down, very no. raw. Sure. Come in your Salvation Army sweatpants and we got you. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that's so cool and I think that that can be so helpful and I mean to be able to think of something like that and while you're doing everything else, that's I mean, how are you able to I guess you alluded to it earlier when you said you got done in three years instead of four when you uh, went to nursing school is you you have an ability to just say I'm I'm doing this and that's that Uh, take me now to the next part of, of this journey because you this is a wonderful wonderful life that you're explaining to me uh and, and i'm hoping that people that are listening uh are are enjoying this as well because uh, i don't know if you and sometimes when you're living in your, when you're living your life and other people can see what you're what you've done they can see things a little bit more clear than you are because you're in it but i'm looking right. at it like you're i mean there's so much that you're offering uh to the world and, and, and just this small little window that you're giving me, what was next then? Uh, so next for me was uh, leaving nursing altogether. Okay, that's right. So um, you said you had enough, yeah. you were done. Yeah. So, yeah, Kaylin went to college and I just decided I'm getting off of this rat wheel, like the hamster yeah, wheel, sure. you know, and I'm going to get off and I am going to stop being so busy in my life and really kind of walk the walk of like this more holistic lifestyle that I wanted to create for myself, this more non-traditional lifestyle. And that meant, you know, walking away from a lot. Like I, I sold my house. I downsized from a four bedroom home to a studio apartment. Mm. And, um, which meant getting rid of a lot of stuff. I gotta say, like, I felt so much more free with not all the stuff. Yeah. And I, and I even told Kaylin, like at one point I was, I was downsizing to the studio apartment and she was like, Oh, you're getting rid of all these things. And I'm like, yeah, they're just things, you know, they're not, they, they're not, they're, they're not, the things are not what hold the importance. It's the memories and the, the you know, maybe what they represent that hold the importance, but it's not the things. And I certainly don't want to live with all this pile of crap around me, you know? 
So uh, I downsized and I even told her, I was like, at some point, mama's going to get down to a backpack and that's what I'm going to live out of. And she was like, oh, geez, you know, do we need to go that far? <laughs> Is that going to be you, mom? No. Yeah. Is that my mother? Uh, so, so yeah, so I downsized and I moved into a studio apartment. I took four months and I did whatever the heck I wanted to do. And I actually like... It wasn't so much a business, but like I offered to friends any kind of odd jobs that they needed done. So purging people's closets, helping them pack for a move, helping them move. Um, One of my friends owned an art gallery downtown and it was around Christmas time and she needed it decorated. So I decorated the art gallery, their front of their art gallery. I did that. I walked dogs. I house sat. I did all kinds of stuff. Um, so I did that for four months just to earn a little bit of money. But how do you, how do you purge someone's closet? How does one purge another's closet? Yeah. So you go into the closet, they have to be there. (laughs) Oh, okay. So they are there. They have to be there. Are they going through withdrawal while you're purging their stuff? They're absolutely going through withdrawal. They're holding on to their clothes, you know, clutching the clothes. And I'm like, okay, that is a size four sizes too big for you. You're never going to wear it. What are you keeping? Well, just in case, what if I gain weight back and I need my fat clothes? I'm like, no, you're not going to gain the weight back. If you do, you'll go and buy some more. Let's put this in the bag. Yeah. This is like uh, one of those episodes on TLC growing up where it was like uh, they had these episodes where they would redo someone's, you know, uh, house and they had to get rid of a bunch of stuff and they all had to put it in certain bins and that yeah. was you you were there <laughs> oh yeah you, were de- you yeah. remember that i forget the name yeah. of it but it was like i just it was just amazing to me how people would cling to certain things and I, I can get it to a degree but you i guess when you have that mindset that you have where it's just like i don't hold on uh to things like that you are the person to dictate well we gotta let this go yeah you, we're, we're purging your closet go. today yeah And I had learned something too from um, my yoga training, actually, when I was training as a teacher, they said, um, if you are saying yes to something, that means you're saying no to something else. So it's like the, it's like the flip of, you know, if you say no, you're saying yes to something else. So you have to figure out what the priority is for you. Do you want to live with all of these things or do you want to create space in your home for something new to enter in? And it's the same thing with letting go just in life, you know, like, do you want to hold on to this grudge or this resentment? Do you want to hold on to the unforgiveness of someone? Do you want to hold on to these things? Because that's what you're saying yes to. Or do you want to say yes to something else? Yeah. Holding on to a grudge is you're saying no to something that could be helping you, but you're, yeah, yeah. completely get that that's pretty cool you did it for four months you said that uh, yeah i did that for four months and then i had always said this is the funny thing so my my friends always thought that i was crazy because i said i'm gonna retire when kaylin leaves for college and i'm gonna work for a natural food store and stock shelves and that's what i'm gonna do with the rest and teach yoga and that's what i'm gonna do well four months afterwards i decided okay i've had enough of doing the odd jobs i want to get a job somewhere and now I was going from a pretty, pretty comfortable income from working as a nurse. Sure. And I found this little job 
at a natural food store as their cashier, Lemon Street Market. Shout out to Lemon Street Market in Lancaster City. All right. Lemon Street uh, Market. <laughs> Lemon Street Market on Lemon Street, 251 West Lemon Street. Uh, so I became their cashier there. Um, and I ended up being there for about four years, four years. And they're a little um, natural food store. All of their produce is local. Well, not all of their produce, but all of their produce is non-GMO, as much local produce as you will find anywhere that okay. is, you know, as healthy as you can find it. And I thought this is, okay, this is the next step in helping people to really find a healthy lifestyle. Because when you make a decision about what you put on your plate, that decision is made three times a day, usually, maybe more, maybe less. But that is a concrete decision that you're making that can affect your health, you know, what you put into your body. And so it starts with what you eat and what you drink. Absolutely. And so working there, I got to learn more about sustainable farming, organic food, um, permaculture practices, you know, we got to work with, with a lot. I had a, a couple farmers that I worked with in the store that would come in. And so, yeah, I learned a lot and it, you know, it was funny, like you're going from this nursing career to working at a little natural food store. And I absolutely enjoyed every moment of that. Well, you also seem to, I mean, you've alluded all, several times that that was always in you. Um, but I, w- I would imagine that even though that transition wasn't too difficult, it, it couldn't have been, or maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm just assuming, but it couldn't have been a hundred percent easy. I mean, how, how do you, like, what are the things that you did uh, for those that are contemplating a transition similar to yours? Uh, what were the, what were the, the tricks and the tips that you can say, Hey, this helped me. Uh, Cause you're right. When you have a, a home, a four bedroom home, you've got a career, and then to switch it up, uh, this is a complete 180. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I think you have to first get into the mindset of knowing that you're going to be okay, no matter what. And like, none of this has been easy. Not, you know, I'm telling the story now and I'm looking back on it and it's like, I'm just telling you the story and it seems like it flows seamlessly. Like I had no problem or no issue or didn't go through any kind of uh transitional depression or anything. And that's certainly not what it was. A lot of these moments were deep struggle. I mean, divorcing from Chris, that was a huge struggle, a huge thing to go through. It had to happen. It happened in, you know, we got through it, but it didn't help happen without some struggle for sure. And even like thinking about the transition of going from one lifestyle to kind of flipping it. And like you said, 180 to another lifestyle, it took a lot of thought. Like I had been contemplating this switch for probably two years and, and I was contemplating it, but not really planning for it. Just kind of knowing it would happen. And every, like I had said, all of my friends knew I was going to be working for this natural food store. I was going to retire air quotes from nursing uh, at 40. And I was just going to kind of leave it all behind. And they'd all be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get to the point where I was like, no, this is really what I want to do. I don't want to continue doing this anymore. So I looked at my bank account and I was like, okay, like, what do I need 
to do this because I still have a kid in college that I need to support on some level. Like I can't just leave her hang out there, you know, like she's obviously grown and she can do things herself, but I'm her mama and I want to be able to do things for her too. So I looked at my bank account. This is like the concrete nuts and bolts, right? And I, I said to myself, okay, I cannot continue with the house. So I have to sell the house. So I was in the process of selling the house when I left the job. Um, I was downsizing to something that I could, the studio apartment that I could afford. And my mom had always raised me like, you can make anything a home. Like you could live in a shack with a dirt floor. Mm. You clean that sucker up. You put some curtains on there. You go to Salvation Army and get yourself a couple chairs and you're good. You know, so like I had a deep knowing that I would always be okay. And I still have that. And I'm really grateful that for that because I think that resilience in me is kind of what pushed me over the edge and said that I can do this. And my mom always was a big support too. Like I remember texting her at one point, I actually screenshotted and I still have it in my phone, but I had texted her. Like, I feel like I'm going over a waterfall. Like that's Mm. what it feels like to me. Like I'm just going to fall over this cliff and I don't know what's going to be at the bottom of this or if I'm going to survive it or what. And she was like, you got this. I got you. You're going to be fine. And, and I really was, I, I, you know, I came out the other end, but I always knew that I could rely on myself to go get a job somewhere. I mean, I'm not above working for it, working, working any job that I need to. That's why I did the odd jobs so that I could have a little bit of extra money and I wasn't living on my savings. I think just knowing what you want to do with your life too. Like I knew that I wanted to live a minimal lifestyle. I wanted to help people with their health um, in some way. I wanted to be teaching yoga or doing something like that. And so I kind of had an idea of where I was headed. And that I think is important because that kind of keeps you moving forward and keeps you, you know, focused rather than, you know, you don't want to sit at home and twiddle your thumbs. You want to have a plan. Like what, what is the goal of doing this? Right. What happens then after the, the lemon street market, uh, the Lemon Street Market days. You said four years there you worked? Yeah, I spent four years there. And then last, not this past September, but last September, um, my mom and I, so my mom had, in the meantime, moved back to Hawaii. And we had inherited an old family homestead, an old family farm, um, from which had been in my family for a few generations for my great, great, great grandfather. And um my grandfather passed away and he handed this land to us, gave us this land that was um, in, had been in the family, but other people had been living on the property for a while. So my mom moved back to Hawaii. She was taking care of my grandmother and living on this property. And I was like, so mom, what are you doing with the property? You know? And she's like, well, I don't really have time to do anything else because my grandmother has dementia. So she's like take, being a caretaker more okay. than anything. Okay. And just from being around the people at Lemon Street Market, thinking about what is the next step to helping people with this, like health, you know, building a healthy lifestyle, I thought, okay, like that land is, should be used for something. And being around farmers and hearing about um, permaculture practices, I thought, I can do that. You know, like I'm not a farmer, but I can learn to do that. And I work hard. I can, I know how to work. 
So I'm willing to put in whatever time it takes to do that. So I decided that when my daughter graduated from college, I would move to Hawaii again, back to Hawaii, move to the property, and then I would start to, you know, revitalize this family homestead and use that land. So the the goal now for me is to revitalize the land. There's a lot of invasive species of plants that have moved in. So it's, you know, eradicating those first. I've been planting some trees. I'd like to have a a fruit forest in the next five years so that people can walk around and just pick fruit and um, kind of scavenge and, and eat their breakfast, just walking around the property. Yeah. Drug my mom to these different classes. So we've learned about (laughs) beekeeping. We've learned about mushrooms. We've learned, you know, growing mushrooms, all these different things. And of course she, at first my mom was like, oh, for goodness sake, we're going to go learn about bees. And then after the (laughs) class, she's like, I'm a bee, I'm going to be a beekeeper. Like, okay, mom, you know, (laughs) but so with permaculture, with this permaculture principle, what you're basically doing instead of like the normal agriculture monoculture method, where they just grow one crop of one thing, it's like kind of going, kind of going back to your grandma's garden where you're growing a lot of different things okay. and you're building an ecosystem so that the soil is actually being taken care of. You're not using as many pesticides, you know, you're doing things as much as possible, like using less as as little inputs as possible and letting nature do its work. So you're working with nature instead of against it, which is what a lot of farming does, big farming, big ag does. And so that is the goal now is to to do that and then to have maybe a few tiny homes on the property where people can come and stay like a retreat center, learn about plant medicine, learn about uh, organic food mm. and you know get some yoga get some stress there you relief go. There you disconnect go. from all the busyness of life and reconnect with themselves with the land and with other people so everything that you have uh that you were uh, discussing now kind of comes back and where you're able to kind of uh bring it to life on the land and in yeah. Hawaii, where you're from, is there any anything that you do uh, on the land there? Are you your first goal is to attempt it and do it yourself, or is there anything you come across? You're like, you know, let me um, just give this to somebody else to do. Oh no, you're gonna you're gonna tackle it yourself. I'm gonna try and tackle as much yeah. of it as I can. I mean, uh, a lot of it is is learning. Um, I do have some friends, some family that have knowledge that can help me, you know, and I'll call my uncle and be like, Hey, like, how do I do whatever? And he'll let me know. But really at this point, we're into digging up a lot of invasive species by hand. So like I, last year I got a frozen shoulder because I was using pickaxe to, to kind of dig up a lot of these big weeds that have like really gnarly roots And, you know, I'm mowing by hand and this is eight acres of land. It's not huge, but it's not small either to be mowing by by hand. But um, so I I ended up with a frozen shoulder and believe it or not, it was yoga that actually unstuck that shoulder because I went to a chiropractor and he was like, 
you're going to have to get surgery for this. It's pretty, it's jacked up. Like you're going to need surgery. And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Why did so, I even come to you to begin with? Right? <laughs> so is that the yeah. goal now? When we talk about goals, uh, the goal is the land and to, and to revitalize yeah. that. That's so cool. The goal is to revitalize the land, to get as much native species from Hawaii growing on the land as I can. Now, obviously there's different zones, so I can't grow something from the desert on my land. Um, but yeah, that's the goal is to get that revitalized, get that homestead up and running, and then be able to welcome people there. I would really love to have at least one of those tiny homes be open to people who cannot afford necessarily a Hawaiian vacation, but if they can buy a ticket, I will give them a place to stay and food to eat. So that they can experience that because, you know, I remember just wanting to get out of Hawaii and my ticket out was the military. So to be able to give somebody, you know, hey, here's a Hawaiian vacation. All you got to do is buy the ticket. That's a very (laughs) sweet uh, uh, gesture um, because I would think, I mean, uh, people who would in Hawaii would look to capitalize on that. You know, I, I can make. I, I'm in I'm in Hawaii. I got this land. I can make money, and I can understand that to a degree. But what you're doing is is giving back, uh, uh, giving back to the people, and and you're also embracing the very the very thing that you've been discussing this entire time, which is you want to help people uh, learn uh, how to live a better life, and and even that little come here i'll i i will offer this place for you to stay uh that'll help that helps people just coming to see the land see the water uh be in hawaii i think that's that's pretty cool you're you're a phenomenal person this is a great story this is a great great journey you ever stop and you ever stop and think like what have i done like i've done all this stuff it can it's maybe it sounds phenomenal but i can tell you living it feels very average to me i mean it it really does feel like just putting one foot in front of the other and and a lot of times that's all i i tell myself like just one foot in front of the other like we don't need to tackle everything today when i whenever i start to feel like that stress of life coming in on me kind of getting heavy on me i'm like okay we're just doing one step at a time here sometimes it's one breath at a time one moment at a time that's all you can do you know does your uh, your daughter stay in the states and you're in, in hawaii or yeah yeah she's kaylin is now fully cooked human being so she has her own apartment in her lancaster she's in lancaster city oh she is okay yeah yeah and i'm um i'm currently in lancaster uh, for a little bit longer and then I'll go back to Hawaii. Do you, is that what you usually do? Do you, you kind of bounce back and forth for long periods of time or? Um, yeah, I had had an apartment here for a while and I was, I was thinking like, I'll just keep the apartment and I'll go back and forth. But since then I've decided to let go of the apartment. I'm actually staying with my ex-husband right now. Oh, get so, out. yeah. So he, um, he went through a pretty tragic loss about a year ago in January, he lost his uh, girlfriend who died suddenly. She had a Mm. pulmonary embolism with which is a blood clot to the lung. And she died on January 1st last year uh, or this year, I should say. So he 
you know, I, I said, we're still family and we still lean on each other. And he called me that night and he said, I need you. And so the next day I came, I came back to Lancaster and I've been here with him for almost a year now. And, you know, we're, I'm holding space for grief. That's what's happening over this last year, holding space for grief. And for anyone who has gone through a loss like that, or has experienced grief, it comes and goes, you know, it's like the waves of an ocean or the tide of an ocean. It'll come in and then it'll recede and you'll be okay for a little while, but then it comes in again. And so that's what he's going through. And I'm just here as his, like, we always joke now that we're like brother and sister, which is kind of sick to think of it that way, (laughs) but but that really is the relationship that we have now, you know, and I just, I'll cook, I'll clean, I'll make him go for a walk, you know, and, and that's, that's what we're doing. So when it comes to wanting the best for people, you're, you are 100% all in. I mean, that's a, that's a great noble thing to do uh, with your ex-husband is to maintain a friendship to that extent and to know that he feels the same way where he knows he can reach out you know um because that's a, a that's a horrible loss and i'm sorry to hear that um uh, i think that um being able to be there for somebody uh regardless of of anything because like you had said um that it sounds like it's a smooth story but there are uh, there are peaks and there are valleys and there are sure. uh, rough spots and i'm you know and and i'm sure that uh you and chris have had your rough spots but what you know, you're still able to uh, be there for him, and my hat, my hat is off to you. That's a great, uh, that's a great way to to look at life as the way that you're you're living it. Do you ever think about um, not so much, not so much like the people that you've met and the, the lives that the lives that you've interacted with, but like, have you ever thought about the number of people that you've met? Because I'm. I'm sure maybe somebody could hear my story and go, that's a great story. I don't think it's that great of a story compared to yours, but you, you are meeting different people. You're interacting with different people um, from Texas, Hawaii, Texas. Uh, your ex-husband's from Maine. You're in Lancaster. You're, you're everywhere. You're also touching people's lives. That's a pretty remarkable thing. You ever think about like the people that you've come in uh, touch with? Um, Anybody stand out to you? Anybody, you know, there's a lot of people that stand yeah. out to me, honestly, like, like, even when I was thinking about your podcast, what's so interesting about it is that everybody has a story, mm-hmm. you know, and if you just take the time, like you were saying, when you sit at a party, and kind of, it's kind of settled down, like this party settled down. And now you got this little crew that's out in the garage. That's what usually happens in Hawaii. Anyway, you see yeah. in the garage, everybody has a drink and you're just talking story. That's what they call it in Hawaii, talking story. That's really where the connection really happens. And those are the moments that you remember most in your life are like when you have that true connection with people. And when you even like allow your humanity and your vulnerability to show, that's what really sticks with you, you know, and that can sometimes inspire you to change change your life in different ways or you hear something and you're like wow like just gives you 
a greater appreciation and maybe even a deeper compassion for people when you hear their story. Like even people that you think at first glance, you're like, I'm not going to get along with this person. <laughs> right. You know, like, oh boy, here we go. But then when you hear their story, particularly when you hear about their courage, resilience, um, their struggle, and you can identify with that, like that to me is like, that's, that's the ultimate of life is like just being with people and really experiencing that connection with them. You, you said the word vulnerability, and I've used that word several times through the podcast because it's a big word for me. And that was one of the, you know, the um, the platforms for the podcast was allowing, giving people a space to feel comfortable being vulnerable because that's where, like you said, that's really where the connection takes place is where someone allows themselves to open up. And it's hard for, for somebody that, like you said, upon looking at them, you're like, there's no way that this guy or this woman's going to be vulnerable. And then when they are, you're like, Whoa, there's so much we have in common. And one of the right. things that my mom, um, growing up, my mom had, a, um, was able to be vulnerable in, in front of me and my sisters. And what I mean by that is you know, my mom was strict and my mom was very, very disciplined. And there were times where, you know, as a parent, you know, there's times where you kind of go overboard and you're like, I probably shouldn't have said it like that, you know? And I remember my mom, my mom was a retired teacher now and she would come home and she would need 25 minutes to unwind. And now I know what that's like. I'm, I'm asking for an hour and 25 minutes now, but <laughs> when my mom did, she was 25, but she would, you know, there were times where she would kind of like lose it and, she would come back and apologize. Mm. And I remember as a child, I could see my mom, and I've told her this story plenty of times, that she was vulnerable in front of me enough where I could see my mom as my mom, but then I would see my mom as a woman. I could see my mom as Rosa. You know what I mean? And when, you, yeah. when you're allowed to reckon, when you can see in somebody like that, there's this like connection and I'm like, that's what I really want to, you know, I, I, and I don't know what it was. It was just something that just clicked and said, I want to do this podcast. I just want people to get to know other people because that's what I like doing. And I feel like we become better people when we learn about other people. Yeah. It certainly deepens your compassion for other people and, you know, maybe helps you to look at life from a different perspective. Like sometimes you can really get stuck in your own way of thinking about something and to be able to see it from someone else's worldview right. or to, to hear like the, their life story. It's like, wow, you know, that's inspiring to me, like to hear that I recently went on a road trip around the United States and um, really the, the inspiration for that was Chris's girlfriend that he lost tragically. She was 35 years old. And I thought once Chris kind of got to a place where he was on his feet a bit, um, I thought I'm going to do something that I've always wanted to do uh, before it's too late because you never know, you know, you never know when this journey is going to, this part of the journey is going to come to an end. We don't know what's next, but right. this earthly part of the journey is going to come to an end. So I had always wanted to go on a road trip and I went on, did this road trip around the U S for two months. And um, I met this guy in 
I think it was in Oregon. I had stopped to do my laundry and I had parked at a laundromat. Well, we were parked outside of the laundromat and I was sitting in my car waiting for my clothes to dry. And this guy was sitting next to me in his car and he was, you know, doing his laundry too. He was waiting for it to dry or something. And my windows were up and I see him pointing and with this big smile on his face, pointing at my, I call it the attic. I had like this um, storage unit on top of my car and I had been collecting stickers everywhere that I went. I had been putting stickers up on this attic. (laughs) So uh, he's pointing at him and he's smiling and he's saying something. So I roll down my window and he's like, Hey, I love your sticker collection. And I told him I was doing the road trip, which, you know, is unusual because as a solo woman doing a road trip, I had not decided I wasn't telling anybody that I was by myself and doing this road trip because that's not the safest sure. thing to do. Of right. course, I said that. I ended up telling so many people that I was doing this. I would <laughs> right. like, meet people, become fast friends, and they'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm on a solo road trip. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to say that, but here it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I had a taser and I had mace. Okay, there you so go. I was already, There you go. You were locked um, and loaded. Yeah, I was ready. So uh, he can, he's like, oh, I really love your sticker collection. I told him about the thing. And he's like, oh, I, you know, I was thinking about doing a trip like that, like a road trip myself. And he was talking about how he had his physical therapist had just graduated him from physical therapy. He had been over a year in and out of hospitals for some very rare lung disorder that he had. Of course, this is happening during COVID, right? Right. That he's dealing with that. So he's having to go in and out of hospitals. He's a young guy. He's like in his thirties. And um, so he's telling me how it was really depressing. He had to stop working. um, And he um, started to cry about, you know, the things that he was going through and experiencing. And he said, I'm just so happy that I get to be here doing my laundry today, because at one point I thought I was going to die. I didn't think I was going to be able to even do my laundry. So he's like, I'm so happy today that (sighs) I get to come here and do my laundry. Right. The little thing. And I was like, I was just so touched by his honesty and like his openness. And it was like, you know, when you meet someone who is a complete stranger and you, you know, everyone has had these experiences, I think, where you have like these spiritual experiences where you're having just, you think is just a normal conversation. And then it takes this turn and you have like this deep knowing of Mm -hmm. this person like I know you you know me and like we are one you know I'm not to sound no absolutely hoo-hoo but you know that (laughs) but but that's kind of the feeling that came over me and I had this voice in my head because I had along the way I had been kind of collecting things on my trip and I had been up in Lake Superior about a month before that And I was on this beach called Pebble Beach. So it's all pebbles. Like there's no sand or anything. It's just acres of pebbles. And I ended up coming across this pebble that someone had painted hope, the word hope onto with some little designs. And I had picked it up and I put it in my car in my little, I had like this little dashboard thing where I put all the things that I found. And I had this like voice in my head say, you need to give Jamil, that's his name. You need to give Jamil the hope rock. 
because I kept saying I found hope on a beach in Lake Superior, you know. <laughs> and so I said, hey, do you mind if I put on my mask? Because I knew he was dealing with this, this lung issue. I said, do you mind if I put on my mask if I give you something? And he said, no, sure, of course. So I gave him the rock and I told him the story that, you know, I'd found this rock in a sea of pebbles. I had found hope. And I thought, and I thought that he might need a little bit of hope. So I gave him the rock and we both wept and he was like, can I give you a hug? And I said, Oh, absolutely. So he gives me a hug. I'm going to get emotional. (laughs) Um, So he gives me a hug and then he's like, okay, I better go get my laundry. And at this point I had gone and got my laundry and came out. So I said, well, I better get on the road. And he said, yeah, I'm going to go in and get my laundry. And he was walking in and he, he turns around and he yells back, Hey, Christine. And I was like, what? And he goes, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And we went our separate ways. And I wish I had gotten his number or something so I could keep in touch with him, but I didn't. So it's just going to remain one of those things like, which is probably how it's supposed to be. You know, it's that, yeah, it's perfect that way. Yeah. That's a pretty cool story. Thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean when you, you, there's people that kind of come into your life. Uh, and I talk about that a lot with, you know, with Alexandra or our kids or with our family when we're talking like you and I are right now. It's like people come into your life uh, for years, days. There's people that come into your life just for those five minutes and they make an impact. They, yeah. there's something that's discussed that just makes you think a certain way and it's enough where it changes the course of your life. It changes how you look at things for the rest of your life. And it's like, those are the things that I love because it's, you have to pay attention and there's a lot of people that aren't paying attention. Um, and I've learned that the older I get, you know, just a random, uh, and I'm a very, like, I I don't, uh, Alexandra is the more social person in our relationship with my marriage Mm -hmm. with my wife. I'm usually like the more like, what's, what's this person want for me? Cause I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to stay over here in my own business, but I'm trying I'm learning that I should be a little bit more open to a conversation because w- one may take place like the one that you just had with this gentleman. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Thank much you. for joining me. This has been an awesome, awesome conversation. Um, and, and I'm hoping that, um, people enjoy it i believe they will um i don't even think i'm gonna have to edit that much out of this this has been a a solid solid conversation i hope i didn't keep you up late i know it's getting late but thank you thank you very much thank you so much do you mind i do write poetry do you mind if i read one of my poems go for it just to close nope okay and i'm not a particularly great poet (laughs) Nah, don't worry about it but you know like when because we're talking about my journey and I'm sure like other people's journey you know how you can you come to those points in your life where you're like I don't know if I can do this again yes. like you, you know you think you have one big thing that's going to happen to you and that's going to be it but it's like like you said peaks and valleys you know you're always like that is the journey it's the peaks and valleys you can't look out and see the end of your life. And thank goodness you can't either, because then you might not have the experiences. If you think that you're just going to lay it out and you're not going to have any difficulties or any illness or any heartbreak or anything, but then what would life really be? That is, you know, those, those things that you have to overcome are the things that make life worth living. 
So um, this is a poem that I wrote. I've touched the ocean inside myself so many times I can't recall them all. I've waited on shores, looking out, looking in, looking out for the courage to take the first step into the wide open blue. Take up all the spaces that are no longer me and deliver them to the deep, it will. No one can know, but I'm asking anyway. What's on the other side of this? What must be given over and how long will it take? Have you noticed the brave ones cliff diving? They make it look so effortless. I wonder if pulling your knees to your chest like that reminds you only pain and contraction can birth you from a womb. I'm here watching the tide, moving in, moving out, moving in. I feel like that hermit retreating back to his comfortable but too small home. The ocean stretches out. It will force me to take up space, to kick and breathe and float and open and open and leave the heavy to sink and open. But I'm not ready. I'm not ready just yet, right? Departing becomes arrival, becomes departing, and so it goes. And I have touched the ocean inside myself so many times, I can't recall them all. That was really, really good. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, but I, I would wow. just say to anybody out there that's going through a tough time, my story sounds like it's real smooth and telling it even came out a little smooth, <laughs> but we all go through struggles. We all go through tough times. Yes. You just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, there are, you'll look back and be grateful for the peaks and the valleys. Doesn't feel like it right now, but it's making you courageous, resilient, joyful, peaceful, and free. Mm. I, I like to, I like to tell people that uh, give yourself some grace even during the bad times a lot of people are hard on themselves and me included and i like i'll tell that to my kids or i'll tell that to anybody really you got to give yourself some grace and just be easy on yourself yeah life is hard and we're just doing it yeah and nobody gave us a a rule book or a instruction manual you're just doing it yeah thank you so much christine blair it's been a pleasure to meet you Thank you so much, Felix. I hope you uh, I hope you uh, uh, enjoy listening to this episode. You're not one of those people that don't like listening to themselves, are you? I am one of those people, but I'm <laughs> going to do it anyway. Because even when you asked me to, or when Alex re- reached out and said, do you want to do this? I said, I would love to. And by I would love to, I mean, I'm terrified, but I'll do it anyway. Because <laughs> I'm at cool. the age now where I know that doing the uncomfortable things are the only way that you grow. So well, it didn't seem like you were uncomfortable. You, you nailed it. You, <laughs> you, you had a great conversation. You it told great you stories. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you go. Thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Okay, thank you so much. It was so nice meeting you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Take your time. One foot in front of the other. Embrace each day as it comes. Try not to get worked up over the small shit. Maintain focus and stay continuous through all four seasons. This entire episode is exactly what the Journeyman Chronicles is about. I hope you enjoyed it. Christine Blair, thank you so much for joining me, for sharing your story. Please take care of yourself, your daughter, your mother. I appreciate the time that you have dedicated to the podcast. Until next week. 
Y'all be safe. Y'all take care of yourselves. Journeyman is out, and I'll see you again soon.